Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. As they're leaving, you're going to stay here. We're going to be doing something a little different this morning. If you have a phone, a smartphone, or a dumb phone, like those old ones, the flip phones, I'm going to ask that you pull your phone out. Did you hear what I said? Yeah, you're in church. Yeah, the pastor is saying, pull your phone out. Similar to if you were here a couple of months ago, I did an interview. We had two people come in from Minneapolis, and the topic was forgiveness. And Mary Johnson and O'Shea Israel were up here, and I interviewed them, and you were communicating with me during the sermon. This morning, at the outset of this, the title of the sermon, as you can see, it's going to be a two-part series, a mini-series kind of a follow-up a little bit to what you heard from Pastor Tom these uh, two weeks. Some good news too, Pastor Tom and I were talking this week. Uh, Our next book in the Bible will be this month. It's going to be the book of Galatians. So we're going to do another letter from the Apostle Paul. None of you care. All right. Okay. That's good. That's what what we need, right? Need a little feedback. So here's what we're going to do. You have your phone out. Are you ready? Now, some of you may not be the most technologically savvy people. No, that's okay. I'm going to walk you through this. This is not going to be the first time we do something like this. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this. Nobody else that was up here mentioned that today is Super Bowl Sunday. Right? Yeah. Even if you're not a football fan, you at least probably watch the commercials. You're into that. Right? The money these uh, companies spend. Insane. All right. So, here is our first question. Now, if you can see this up here, here's what you're going to do. I have my phone up here. You are going to pick which team you think is going to win the Super Bowl. This is anonymous. This is anonymous. So on your phone, um, I think that the names of the teams are up there. I think. So on your phone, here's what you're going to do. Where it says two on your phone, like where you would put in a friend's name, you're going to put in those numbers, two, two, three, three, three. You following me? Then where you would write the message... It's James Lecce, it's, it's an I, it's not a number one, and then 356. That will enter you into it. You'll be registered in the system. <laughs> you will be registered in the system. I'm getting text messages as this is happening. So in the, t- are you with me? Where it says two, the, the recipient, the person you're sending the message to, you're going to put those numbers. Two, two, there we go. Somebody's getting it. Two, two, three, three, three. And then where the actual, where you would write the content of the message, you're going to put James Lecce 356. You'll get, a, you'll get a confirmation text from polleverywhere.com. You with me? Now, I see a couple of people doing this. All right. It's all right. First time. Yeah, it's going. Here we go. A lot of people are picking the Seahawks. Shocker. Must have a lot of Jet fans in here. I'll say this. In your lifetime, you'll never hear me preach a sermon, you Jet fans, that includes the Jets in a a poll like this because they'll never make it. (laughs) Never. They won't. I jumped off the ship. I jumped. I I keep telling you that. Some of you don't believe me. I jumped. All right, so what's the... Hey, do we have a number, Scott? What's the number here? So the Seahawks are going to win anyway. They are. I'm just throwing that out there, right? We're in church. You don't bet or anything, but I'm I'm just giving you like... Just dro- make, dropping some knowledge on you. All right, now, you're good with that? Now you understand what to do. 
All right? No, no, no. We're done with this. Stop talking about the Super Bowl. We're done now. All right. Here's what I want to do. I want to do like kind of a little word association to like get you into the real question that I'm going to ask you that is pertinent to this message. If I said to you, uh, if I gave you a word, Republican, would you know like a general, you'd have a general idea maybe about some of the beliefs that that person would have? You know, of course, they're, you know, on the political spectrum, somebody may be fiscally conservative or what have you, conservative, liberal, you know what I'm talking about. You'd get a general understanding if I said that word. If I said the word uh, vegetarian, somebody says, I'm a vegetarian, you have a general idea or understanding, right, what that word means, what that person is all about. How about if I said to you, um, suppose I'm a Canadian, and he says, uh, you know, that word Canadian, you'd have a general idea. You probably feel bad for those people, right, where they live, part of the world. They should feel bad for us after we got walloped this past week. We're going to get another nice ice storm tomorrow, right? The, all the teachers in here are hoping that they're off tomorrow, right? Yeah, yeah, I am. Listen, I'm not going to lie. It'll be great. Super Bowl Monday to be off. You kidding me? Whatever your lessons are, kids, everything can wait until Tuesday. You'll be okay. So you have a general idea. You have an understanding of that. And I can't even get into how they name the storms now. They name these storms. Like this past week was to be the storm of the century, right? Isn't it crazy how they do that? It's wild. And again, you don't really care about that. Now, here's a word, though. This is the focus of the sermon. This is the crux of the sermon. You can't miss this. Ready? Here's the word. Christian. Christian. All right. Some of you are like giving me that, like, that, that blank stare. Here is what we're really going to do. Now, this is out of the box, and I want to do this more moving forward to be interactive. What you can do is, on your phone again, this one I really care about. I don't care what you think about the Super Bowl. I really care what you think about this. This is an open-ended survey question. I want you to tell me what, you, what the heck's going on. Right? Wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. You have to now go James Lecce again. Three, five, six to two. No, don't do that. Scott, tell them. You already enrolled. Oh, that's what happened, Scott. Scott was here. This, hey, listen. Scott was at an educational conference recently, and he gave, gave me this idea and said, you'll probably want to use this in the church. And I said, absolutely. I'd love to implement this. So he's really the brains behind this. We were here yesterday, and he really made this happen. Not me. All right, so what is this? Hey, guys, give me some serious answers. You can see them pop up. This is in real time. What you think a Christian is. That's good, James Lecce. All right, Jesus in human skin. Good, there's a real answer. All right, keep them coming. Another couple of minutes. Follower of the way Jesus lived. I like it. Someone who believes in God no matter what. All right, anybody else? You have a All right, like this, so cool. Okay, thank you. Follower of Jesus, anybody else you want to play? Someone who has placed their faith in Jesus that he is, well, now it's just rapid fire, I love it. Someone who has accepted Jesus as their savior. Someone with a strong relationship with God and Jesus. Disciple of Jesus, loving person, here we go. Oh, this is so cool. Whoever wrote that, you're right. I mean, that kind of captures everything, isn't that? Now stop, stop, don't write anymore. I know some of you like that are really close to me, but that was the thing I, I like battled. I'm like, what are they going to write up there? What are some of the crazy things people want to write when they see this? Kind of neat though, right? Doing something like this. Here's what I want you to notice. 
Look at all the different definitions you have of this one word. Christian. I asked you a simple question, a word you've heard probably a million times, and there are a myriad of different answers in this room. Now, some people will say, listen, that word Christian, how you define that word, it's about what you believe in, right? It's what you adhere to. Whatever your doctrine is, it's what you believe. And then other people would say, no, 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 it's not about what you believe. It's about your behavior. It's about what you do and then what you don't do. That's how you would define somebody who's a Christian. And then other people would say, no, 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 no. It's about your brand of Christianity. Are you a Methodist? Are you a Presbyterian? Are you Catholic? What, what have you, whatever it is. People will say, what are you? That really will define for me who you are. By the way, you're in a non-denominational church, which is, just happens to be the best, by the way. Um, do you know there are thousands of different denominations, Protestant denominations, thousands of them that exist. And every single one of them thinks they kind of have things figured out. It's a little scary. And you see some people that say, right, I was raised a Christian. I grew up in a Christian home, so I'm a Christian now. Other people, maybe you're in here and you say, you know what? I was a Christian, and, you know, maybe for a little while. I'm here today, but I kind of fell away a little bit. Or you know other people, and they say, you know, I was a Christian back then. And somebody else will say, no, 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 once a Christian, always a Christian. Get into predestination, Calvinism. It gets crazy. How many of you know what I'm talking about? This is what we're talking about when we hear this word Christian. Some of you are sitting in here. Some people will say, you know what? No, no, no. You can tell who a Christian is just by what they look like, just by what they're actually wearing. Right? Is that true? And some of you are like, yeah, I'm looking at the person next to me. I don't know if they're really a Christian. And you're married to them. And you're really, you're wondering, right? We do that, though. What people wear, that's part of it. And it was interesting. A couple of weeks ago at school, I had one of those conversations at work with a colleague. And... Uh, it was wild because the guy didn't know, like, and a lot of people, listen, as I'm a history teacher and I'm a preacher, how I, wherever I am, like, I, it, when I'm talking to somebody, I have to decide, do I want this to be a long conversation or do I want this to be a short conversation? Am I a teacher or am I a preacher? I work at a church. I'm a pastor. You following me? So I get in a conversation with this one guy and it gets into like spiritual things a little bit. And I told him, yeah, I go to church, right? I didn't say at first that I'm like a, a preacher in the church. I just said, yeah, I go to church. And do you ever get that? I got that look from the guy like, oh, so you believe in the tooth fairy, right? Like, do you ever get the, a look from like somebody like that? And I said, yeah, yeah, not only, then I took it a set and I said, all right, now I'm going to, now we're going to have some fun. Not only do I believe, right, in the tooth fairy, I work for the tooth fairy, right, pal? I work for him. How do you like that? And the guy was like, kind of like shocked. But as the conversation continued to progress, what was wild was the guy was, you could tell he didn't have a problem with Jesus. He didn't, he had a problem with Christians, Come on. He had a problem with Christians. If you ask people that are not Christians, what are they going to say about Christians? There has been so much research on this. Christian Smith, a sociologist at Notre Dame. George Barna. There have been books on Christian. What do many people that aren't Christians think when they hear the word Christian? They think judgmental. They think hypocritical, homophobic, moralist. People who think that we're the only ones that are going to heaven and we kind of like love the fact, we don't tell everybody, but we love the fact that everybody else that isn't a Christian is going to hell. Some of you are like, whoa, it's a little strong. It's true. That's what a lot of people think when they hear that word Christian. 
kind of scary. And so uh, that's what I'm here to to do today is I want to talk about this word because can I just lay it out for you? Did you know that Jesus never talked about the word Christian? Jesus didn't walk around and say, hey, little Christians, come follow me. Hey, Peter and Andrew, drop your nets. Oh, become Christians. Hey, Nathaniel, oh, you're a skeptic? Yeah, come follow me. I want you to be a Christian. Jesus never once uses the word Christian in the Bible. Not once. Now, all derivatives of that word Christian, you, now you're thinking in your head, right? I'm a step ahead of you. You're going, how many times does the word appear in the Bible? Does it appear at all? Got you covered. Three times the word appears in the Bible. Only three. Three times. It is not mentioned in a positive way. We, we are sitting here. It's 2015. You go, we're, we're Christians. What do you mean? It's not like it's got to be a good thing. That's how we're characterized, categorized. That's how people look at us. We're Christians. Can I give you a little history now? Do you want to know the, where this originates? Again, I'm a history teacher. Please bear with me. All right? Indulge me for a minute. What's wild about this, let me give you one example. Here's one example. Acts 11, 25 and 26. Or a couple. I'm only giving you one. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and they taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. All right. You wouldn't get a heck of a lot from that, though. You go, all right, yeah, they're called Christians in Antioch. Oh, ho-hum. All right, let me move on with my day or my reading, what have you. Well, the history behind this is pretty neat. How many of you know the name Nero? Emperor Nero, an absolute psychopath, comes to power. You global history guys, what is he? He's like 17 years old, maybe like somewhere like 37, 38 AD, somewhere around there. Don't send me a text or an email later that I was off by a year, okay? I'm close. So he comes to power around that time, right? He's in power for like 30 years. Now, what does he do? Again, he's a 17-year-old man, all right? He wants to burn, he burns Rome. 64 AD, he torches Rome. Little picture there for you, get it, right? get the visual. He torches Rome, wants Rome to build a new Rome. Really wise guy. Really, I mean, this is, I mean, the brightest thing the guy could have ever thought of. What do you think all the people, what was their reaction to this when he burns the city in 64 AD? Outrage. Why would this happen? How could this happen? What's wrong? Who did this? Why would this be? All right. What does he do? He is going to blame it on the Christians! Oh, how convenient, Mr. Nero, one who persecuted he, Caligula. I mean, we could go through all these emperors. We talk about Constantine in 325 AD and the Council of Nicaea and setting up Christianity, right, as the state religion. And then you have psychopaths on the other side, like Caligula and Nero, that use Christians as pitch, right, and, and gladiator games. Crazy stuff these guys did. Now, we know this from a first century historian. He died in 117 AD. Now, you can't make that. What a Plubius Cornelius Tacitus. Isn't that like just a strong name? First century historian who was around for about four or five emperors, right? And he writes about them. And we know he tells us a lot about Nero here. And doing research on this during the week, it was a lot of fun. This is what he says. Nero did something, he says, consequently, to get rid of the report, the report of being that Nero burned his own city, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. 
Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. And for those of you in here, let me stop for a second. Let me step back. This is real history. A lot of times in church, you don't hear enough about real. This is a real historian, a first century historian, talking about the crucifixion of one Jesus Christ. It is beyond comprehension when you people go around and they propagate the idea that the crucifixion never happened. Are you kidding me? Here is somebody, a Roman historian, who is talking about an event that took place in time, in history. Really happened. All right, that's a little side note there. So from that point on, they were called Christians. This group, this movement that was started by Jesus Christ, this is a derogatory term that they used in describing them. They denigrated them, and they denigrated them by saying, oh, there they are, this group of Christians that go around and they care for the sick. They care for the poor. And they go out and they give up their possessions and they live in community. They break bread together. They do life together. They're a different kind of people. They're Christians. Wow. Baby Nolan likes that. (laughs) So nowhere in the Bible does it say that word Christian. But I'll tell you what it does say. There is a word that is, I think, more terrifying. And it is much more, I guess, defining It is a word that Jesus used. It is a word that the followers of Christ used in the first century and moving forward. Again, a terrifying word, a word that sometimes can make us feel uncomfortable. And you know what that word is? That word is disciple. That word is used in the Bible. It is used over and over again. Let me just give you a few examples so you can see. Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. He didn't say whoever wants to be a Christian. He said a disciple. There is a huge difference between a Christian and a disciple. How about Acts 6, 7? Then the word of God spread and the number of the disciples, not Christians, multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. How about one more? John 13, 35, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Pretty incredible, right? Pretty incredible that this word is used 300 times, roughly 300 times in the New Testament. This word disciple is used. Word Christian is used three times. The word disciple, roughly 300 And for us, I think it's so easy. Let me be really honest. I'm in your face a little bit today. I'm going to make you feel uncomfortable. That's that's what this sermon is kind of about. And I don't really, I'm not apologizing for that. But understand here that this word means something. It's diametrically opposed to the word Christian. And it's very easy for us to hide behind the word Christian. What are you? Yeah, I'm a Christian. A Christian can mean anything. It can mean whatever you want it to mean. You can come up to me afterwards, you, don't, you, have, you have no case, no case if you come up to me afterwards and say, no, this is what a Christian is, you're wrong, the Bible does not explicitly say what a Christian is, but a Bible tells us it is pretty clear, it is defined what a disciple is. Are you with me? So the question for this morning is, are we, are we, are we Christians or are we really disciples? It's uncomfortable when you really do it. And I want you to do a self-assessment for the rest of this sermon. I want you to ask yourself, as I go over some attributes and trying to make this a little clearer, a little more concrete, where do you put yourself? What category would you say? And if, listen, if you feel like, hey, you know what? Maybe I am more of a Christian and maybe it is easy for me to hide behind that word, that, that title. That's okay. 
I'm not here to, as much as this may be uncomfortable for you, I'm not here to, to give you a guilt trip and have you walk out of here and feel condemned because of where you're at. I'm here to tell you and maybe wake you up to that there is more for you, there is more at stake, and there is more for your life according to what the gospel says, according to what Jesus Christ said, according to what the apostle Paul said, according to what Peter said, and so on for your life. You know, I think there are a lot of people that have made a decision to believe in Jesus, right? I give assent to certain beliefs, and I I believe in Jesus, but don't ask me to do certain things. I saw something on, uh, this is on MSNBC. Recently, they did a report on the new vegetarians. One woman's response, like, just kind of captures the report. She says, I I usually eat vegetarian, but I really like bacon, (laughs) right? I really love bacon, right? She represents a growing number of people. You know what they call themselves? Flexitarians. I'm not a vegetarian. I'm a flexitarian, right? And this is what one what, what other guy said. I, I love, you can't make this up. Another person ex- explained it this way. I really like vegetarian food, but I'm not 100% committed. Yeah, flexitarian is a good way to describe people and, and their commitments. But I, I think what's dangerous for us, spiritually speaking, is that we can sometimes, it can almost be like a, like a buffet. And there are certain things, right? Think about your life. When Jesus says, all right, you're supposed to forgive people. Man, that's, I'm not forgiving that person. You don't know. But I want some of this. I'll take some of this. Oh, of giving? Ooh, Pastor Joe was talking about giving this morning. Pastor Tom was talking about being a good steward. No, I just, I, I, you know, I need that money. I want to go on vacation, or I need, I need to do this, or I have a lot of stuff going I can't really trust right now. Oh, the spiritual buffet is great. I'm going to take some of this, but I, don't, I want some love, and I'm going to take some peace. And, but I, don't make me uncomfortable, Jesus. Don't put me in an uncomfortable position. I want control of my life. That's what, when you, somebody says, I'm a Christian, they may not be willing to relinquish control to somebody else. A disciple is somebody that understands you are not in control of your life. There is somebody else that is there. And we can pick and choose, and we can pick and choose all we want. And it reminds, well, since today is Super Bowl Sunday, when I hear the word Christian, I think of the guy that you're going to see on TV today. I don't know who the person is, but you're going to see some lunatic that is at the Super Bowl, and they probably spend anywhere between five and $10,000, and let's pick the Patriots, and they're going to have like their face painted, and they probably have their shirt off at some point during the game, right? And they have like Tom Brady's jersey back at home in their house, and they've been to every single Patriots uh, game for the last like 50 years. That person's at every game, and they think that they're really part of the Patriots. We're going to win today. We're going to win today. That person has not shed one ounce of sweat or tears of blood. That person hasn't done anything. They're a follower. They're a fan of the Patriots, but they're not part of the Patriots. Tom Brady doesn't know who they are. Tom Brady doesn't care who that person is, right? You following me? There is a big difference between somebody that is a, that that is an admirer, somebody that is a fan and somebody that says, you know what? I'm going to give up my life for this, what I believe. How about I saw this past week, I saw Selma. How many of you saw the movie? Selma. Wow. Go see Selma. I thought it was an excellent movie, and there was a lot of debate how uh, LBJ was depicted in the movie. But there was a very poignant scene, a couple of scenes towards the end. And you see Dr. Martin Luther King, at the, really the last scene, and he's marching there at Selma. And I thought about it, and I said, you know what? There were a lot of people that marched with Dr. Martin Luther King. How many people were willing to go to jail with him? How many people were willing to say, you know what? I'm going to give up my life and really follow you. I'm not going to sit on the sideline and just applaud. I am all in. You know what? There were a lot of people 
that looked at Mother Teresa and applauded what she did in serving the poor and the destitute in India? How many people got on planes and said, you know what? I will give up my life and I will go to Calcutta and I will serve with her. Not many. And when Jesus Christ gave the Sermon on the Mount, he spoke to the crowd, but there were a few people in that crowd that their hearts were pounding and their minds were racing because somebody called them out and said, you know what? You can live a different kind of life. There is another life. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law talk about all the rules and rules. I'm not here to give you rules. I'm here to give you myself. I'm here to give you a relationship. I want you to follow me. I'm fired up because it's the Super Bowl and because I like the topic. (laughs) So, can I be brutally honest? You know what? I'm really worried about the picture I had too all week. I'm worried that we're really just going to become like we'll have sanctuaries around the country where we have all fans. That it's, it almost becomes like a, like a little stadium and we cheer and Megan kills it. She's singing and Steve and the whole worship team is up here and they're singing their songs and we really get into it and we sing the words and we believe the words. But when we leave here, we're like, man, I'm back in control of my life. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. But man, that disciple word is a little scary. Yeah, you bet it's scary. But you were made to be a disciple. And you're a, let me tell you, you're a disciple of something or someone. Your worldview is shaped by something. The culture you live in, you live in, is trying to shape your worldview. You have some sort of rabbi. There is somebody that you're following. You say, what are you talking about? I come to church. I read my Bible. I follow Jesus. And I would say to you, just listen by the end. Look at the attributes. Really sit there and pray about it. Who are you really following? The danger, too, is somebody that's in here, and you're saying, as I'm preaching the sermon, I know this topic. I know it well. I am a disciple. I'm involved. I do a lot. I have prayer time. And I would say to you, there is more for you. There is some area of your life as a disciple that God is talking to. And I would ask that you would just be obedient to what that is. And here's the first thing, and giving you a couple of attributes, I think, of what a disciple is, because I think the danger for me as the speaker is, you leave this place, and I just go, be a disciple, don't be a Christian. And where, I got this idea, to be totally honest, my sermon is totally different. I got the concept from Andy Stanley. He did a talk on it. My sermon is totally different. I, I felt like we need to, you need to walk out, and I at least have to give you a couple of things that you go, oh, I get it, like concrete. This is what a disciple kind of looks like. This is what a disciple is all about. This is not the end-all, be-all. There's so much more to it. Just a start, just a couple of things. And I would say the first one, the first attribute, disciples are learners. Disciples are learners. They want to learn. How about Pastor Tom talked two weeks ago, right? He talked from Psalm 1 about being a people that actually get into the word and learn. And I know how hard that is. You're like, man, I've heard this so many times. Read my Bible, read my Bible, read my Bible more. I get it. Right? Is that how you, right? You feel like, I feel like I've heard this a million times. Look what, look what it says here in, um, in John 1, 35, 38. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus, as he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. I shared this probably, I I don't even know. This could be like 10 years ago. I don't remember. But you know what? When we read the stories, and, and for many of you, you're going to be like, the, the light bulb's going to go off, and you're going to be like, I hope this blows your mind. 
Do you know when people like Andrew and Peter drop their nets, when Jesus says, hey, come follow me, right? Come follow me. And then you have James and John, right? Drop your nets and come follow me. Did you ever realize how crazy that would have been? Not like, we're in the middle of catching fish, guy. Who are you? What's going on? Like, leave us alone, right? We don't know who you are. Let me tell you how insane this is. Can I give you a little history, a little more history this morning? You ready for this? When a young kid was raised in the, in the Jewish faith, zero to six. Now, this is an oral culture, right? This is an oral culture. They didn't have the printing press. You know, they didn't have like what we have. We have a, a Bible, and you can read certain things. You, from the time that you were zero to the time you were six, you read the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. First five books of the Bible, right? At the age of six years old, an old rabbinical saying was, we stuff children with the Torah like an ox. We stuff them with the Torah. How cool is that? Right? The image of that. You don't th- I thought that was like pretty wild, right? You st- that's all you do. More. Daddy, I want to eat. No, we're going to sit down and study the Torah. We're going to study and you're going to learn it and you're going to understand it. Kind of like me when I was younger. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she said it to me the other day. Pastor Linda, right? It's like the summertime. It was the summertime. And like, I had to like, I don't know, read like newspaper articles. And I was reading Newsday articles when I should have been probably reading the New York Times articles. And I'm reading these articles, right? She's like, at some point she got so frustrated. She's like, who's black cattle? Because I wasn't like, you can't, you had to be there. You had to, I kind of had to be there at the moment. But I had to define these articles, right? And sitting there going over it, over it, and over it. I mean, it was good that you did. It was really good that you did that. But it just didn't. No, 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 no. You don't get to. Absolutely not. So I gave you a totally unrealistic, like, subjective view of that event from a long time ago. And you noticed I left out a lot of details. A lot of details. But no, no, no. Pastor Linda, you're not speaking. Pastor Linda. (laughs) All right, anyway, Pastor Linda, I'm trying to preach a sermon. Thanks. (laughs) At the age of six years old... At the age of six years old, between six and ten, it was known as Bet Sefer. And at Bet Sefer, that's what by the time a kid was ten years old, this is many of the kids, they would have the Torah memorized. What? What? And you may go, that's absolutely crazy, insane. It gets better. If you made it to that part, right, you made it to that point and you're in school and you were a great student, you would then make it to the next level. And the next level was Bet Talmud, which was between the ages of 10 and 14. You memorized the rest of the Old Testament. Yeah, Genesis all the way to the Italian prophet Malachi. You memorized all of it, baby. All of it, right? So you memorized the whole Old Testament. And you're sitting there going, that's insane. There's no way little kids can do that. By the way, people that go to Jewish rabbinical school, you go to rabbinical school now, any rabbi, they probably have most, uh, most of them will have the Old Testament memorized, the whole Old Testament. That's insane. But here's a young kid, and you're going, a young kid, come on. All right, all right. How about a young kid that is between the ages of 10 and 14 years old? They know all of the Jay-Z and Beyonce lyrics, right, the songs. They can recite every line from Dumb and Dumber. You know what I'm talking about, right? So don't tell me that a kid couldn't do this. It was possible, and kids did it. If you made it there, if you made it out of there, oh, God, there were only few kids that would ever make it out of there at that point. You made it to the last stage, which was called Bet Midrash, and that was at the age of 15, you went to find a rabbi. Did you hear what I just said? A rabbi didn't come to you. 
I hope this, the light bulb should be going off when you read the Bible now. No rabbi in the ancient world, trust me, I study history, there's no rabbi in antiquity. None of them went after people and said, you know what, I want you to be my disciple. Every single disciple went after the rabbi and they said, I want to be like you. I passed everything. I know the Old Testament. They would ask them question upon question. There were things called remezes. Where a remez was, it was like a little game. The, 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 the person would say one phrase from the Bible, but they weren't looking for like the next verse. One passage, you had to, they were like really talking about something else. It was this whole weird kind of spiritual judo game that they would play. Insane. So when Jesus is walking on the seashore, he's walking in Galilee, right? He's there and he says, drop your nets and follow me. Here are people, they're fishermen. What does that mean? They failed out of rabbinical, they failed out of school. And Jesus is saying, I see something in you. I believe in you. The only rabbi in the history of the world that ever recruited disciples. Wow. Kidding me? How do you not like history? How do you not like history? It should blow your mind. When you go back, go, like, go through the Gospels and now go read them. Go read those stories of the disciples dropping their nets. Their faces, they, their father, even Mr. Zebedee, I don't know, Mr. Zebedee's home cooking, but Mr. Zebedee's not there with them when they're fishing, right? He wouldn't have been like, oh my gosh, like, where are you taking my boys? No. He would have been like, wait a second, you think that my boys have what it takes to be disciples? Are you kidding me? That's the real story. It's not fake, that's the real story. Jesus is still looking for disciples today. That's kind of tangential a little bit. Like I kind of digressed a little bit, but I hope that blessed you because to me, it changes everything because they saw the rabbi, they saw Jesus as somebody, they, everywhere he went, and I may have mentioned this before, there were prayers even when they went to the bathroom. If you were a disciple, I know some of you like popped up, you're like, ooh. When they even went into the bathroom, they would follow the rabbi into the bathroom. Maybe there's some like secret prayer that they have. Maybe there's some like kind of weird, right? Every single place the rabbi went, you went. You walked in the footsteps of your rabbi. You were called a Talmud. A group of, of disciples, a group would be called a Talmudim. And I'm here to tell you this morning, Jesus is looking for a Talmudim, a group of disciples. People that want to walk in his footsteps, that get dirty and the dust is coming up. What is the master doing? That's what he's looking for today, friends. So are we really, are we doers? That's the next one. So the first one there, what did I say the first one was again? I just lost my train of thought. I'm glad somebody's paying attention. Tethered to that, I would say that we, we need to be doers. We need to be people that are real doers. Look what it says here in, in, in Luke 6.40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. This is what you did in the ancient world. You followed your rabbi, everything your rabbi did. How many of you are big golf fans? Any big golf fans in this place? This blew my mind when I read this. Greatest quiz. Greatest, anybody can say The greatest lefty golfer. History of the PGA Tour. Johnny, if you get it wrong, we're not friends anymore. <laughs> greatest lefty in the history of the PGA Tour. Who said it back there? Mary. That's right. Yeah. Phil Mickelson. There he is, baby. 
Here's the wild story about Mickelson. This is, this is crazy. Did you know the way he came about being a lefty golfer? No, you didn't know, right? I didn't know this. This is crazy. He would, when he was a kid, right? You know? All right. His, his father was a righty. Phil Mickelson, everything he does in life is righty. He would stand in front of his father as his father was a righty and his father would swing. He would mirror the swing of his father. Every single swing and he'd do it lefty. There it is. Dad's swinging again. I'm going to swing. Do you understand what this means for us? You have a certain swing in life. Dallas Willard, philosopher, Christian theologian. I mean, you know how much I love him and respect him. We are to arrange our lives around the things that Jesus arranged his life around. We are to follow the master and we are to look at what he did. Things that taking time off. Wow, we're not really good at that. Sabbath. How generous Jesus was. How loving Jesus was. Forgiveness. The list goes on and on. We are to be walking in the shoes of Jesus. We are to mirror his swing. We are to be right there and reading the gospel, sitting at his feet and looking at what the master says, looking at what the master did. That's what a disciple is. And then the last one. Can I give you my favorite? If disciples are doers, you're like, yeah, I know that. We're supposed to do. Yeah, I get it. But you know what disciples also are? Disciples are also outdoers. What? You may think that's like heretical, right? Did James just say that disciples are outdoers? Look what Jesus said right before, right? He's arrested and he's going to be crucified. Look what it says in John 14, 12, very famous passage. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. You've heard this a thousand times. Look at this passage. Now, what did Jesus do during his lifetime? You should be thinking along the lines of, he raised the dead. The blind could see. The, you name it. I mean, walked on the water, calming storms, everything that could possibly happen. So you may go, greater works than these. What else is there greater to do? And I would say to you, what this text is really saying is, that when you look at the New Testament church collectively, you look at how the gospel spread. They did more in spreading the gospel than Jesus did during his three years. And that's when you say, is that heretical? No, it is not heretical. Go look in the book of Acts. When the apostle Paul and there's Peter and there's James and there's John, they're turning the ancient world upside down. These disciples, these followers of Jesus are actually not just doers, they're outdoers. We, today, 2015, we are not supposed to, just supposed to be doers. We are supposed to be outdoers. Are you with me on that, saints? Oh, I think that's, if we can really get a hold of that on the inside, and we think about that, what happens when disciples commit to learning, and disciples commit to doing, and disciples commit to outdoing what we see here, what happens Marriages are restored. Schools are changed. Families are strengthened. People that are sick can be made well. That's what can happen. Friends, are you, are you aware of some of the history of things that have happened in this country? I'm talking more recent, in more recent memory. I sat on the treadmill this morning and I almost fell off. 
Because I was getting so emotional thinking about this, about us as outdoers. And I had all these names are just popping in my head. And I know I mentioned like, you know, the first and second Great Awakening and the Whitfields and the, and the Jonathan Edwards of the world and the Charles Grandison Finneys of the world. But there were so many other people, even during the 20th century. A guy I used to read about John G. Lake. People would come from all around the world. They'd come to his house. He healed multitudes of people. He was on the cover of the New York Times. Every major newspaper, people that did amazing things for the kingdom of God. All the revivals in history. Azusa Street in San Francisco, California in the early 1900s. Uh, William Seymour. And the church is actually on fire. The fire department comes to the church because they, they think there's a real fire there. It's a move of God. Friends, I'm here to tell you this morning, the greatest move of God has not yet been seen. You and I, we will be part of being outdoers. We will be part of this. And some of you are going, what? Yes, it's real. It's true. Don't you want to be a part of this movement? The greatest movement that the world has ever seen. It's going to happen. It's going to come to fruition. The Bible's clear about it. And so I could say more, but I'm going to close. I think you get the idea. I mean, the, the bottom line for today is, what are you? Are you a Christian or are you a disciple? What are you? Quit being a Christian. If that's you, and you're hiding behind the word, and you're hiding behind just, you know, what that means, I would ask that you look more closely at what Jesus says about what he's looking for. He's looking for people that are fully devoted followers. And you know what's so cool? He's constantly, he's still walking around. And the Holy Spirit is not some impersonal force in the universe. The, personal, the, the, the Holy Spirit is a real person. And he is there and he's looking. God is still looking today, still walking along the seas of Galilee all around the world, looking for people that will just be open. And you may say, this is so hard for me. This is so difficult. Being a disciple, all these things that are asking me. Yes, it is. But be honest with where you're at. Come to the table this morning. As we close, just come with where you're at. Don't try to make this happen. I had an ex-student. I saw him at a health food store this week, and he knows I'm a preacher, and we got into this whole conversation. And he's like, what do I do with lust? Just in, I, out of nowhere, hey, that's totally normal. Like, hey, how you doing? Uh, yeah, like two minutes into the conversation, it was, hey, by the way, Mr. Lecce, what do I do with lust? And I was like, oh, okay, how much time do we have? <laughs> so we started talking about it, but I was just like, you know what? I appreciate it. The kid talked about where he was at. Stop hiding. Stop being isolated. Stop acting as if you, 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 have, you don't have any issues. Come on, bring them out. That's what the Hill House is for this weekend. Hey, talk about it. Where you're at, I expect, we'll have questions for you, but I expect that we talk about, hey, this is where I'm at. There are certain areas that, man, I'm not, I don't really feel like I'm a disciple. That's okay. Reality, Pastor Linda has always said this since I was a kid, reality is your friend. It's not an end, it's your friend. Where are you currently at right now? And I know there is one. You look at the salvific work of, of Jesus on the cross. He died as a propitiation for all mankind, for all generations. And you can bring that right here today. And you can say, you know what? I, I'm really not happy with where I'm at in my walk. I would say that's okay. This is the day that we start, you stop being a Christian. Stop being a Christian. That's the title of this. I'm doing part two next week. I have some cool stories next week. Come back, please. Come back for the second part. But I can't implore you enough. Please, stop being a Christian. There is more. The life that you've always wanted, the, advent the adventure that you were created to live is right here. And it's, it's lived when you put your life in the hands of one Jesus. It doesn't mean life's easy. It doesn't mean life's comfortable. You heard Megan talk about it this morning in that song. Life can be quite difficult, but you're not alone. You're not alone. Lord, 
Lord, we thank you. Lord, I thank you that you didn't come to give us religion. You didn't come so that we would just be nominal believers and followers. You came so that we would be disciples and we would deny ourselves and we pick up our crosses and we run hard after you. Lord, we don't want to be formed by the things of this world, by what the culture tells us about significance and influence. Lord, may your word be real to us as we sit down. Lord, I ask that everybody in it, we would just look at you and follow you and walk with you in the gospels. That we would watch your life and we would practice our swing like that Phil Mickelson story and that we would mirror the swing how you lived your life. Lord, you would help us. That we don't have to use willpower. Lord, we set ourselves up, but Lord, ultimately, you make the change inside. You can transform us. If it's not for this table, if it's not for your work on the cross, that would be fruitless. It would be impossible. But we know what happened 2,000 years ago. We know what real history says. This is not some myth. This was not some fairy tale. This is not some urban legend. You died and were resurrected three days later. We are an Easter people. It may be February 1st. We are still an Easter people. And we'll come back in East, uh, February 8th. We'll still be an Easter people. May we not forget, you are risen indeed. Amen. Ushers. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.